0: This is the Theology Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Malden, and I'm here today with Wolfgang Palavra, a CTI member who has recently published a book called Transforming the Sacred into Saintliness, Reflecting on Violence and Religion with René Girard. This is a special series of the podcast talking to CTI members about recent publications. So welcome to the podcast, Wolfgang. Thank you
1: for inviting me. It's a pleasure to talk about my Uh,
0: latest publication, of course. And I should have said you're a professor of theology at the University of Innsbruck in Austria, and you were a member at CTI in a program on religion and violence a couple of years ago. You're about to head to South Africa for a program um, that you're working with some other scholars who you work with at CTI. So maybe to start us out, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, uh, half of our seminar of fall 2018, the seminar was on religion violence, and we were eight, and four out of those eight are now uh, convening again in January at uh, STIAS, the Stellenbosch Institute of Advanced Studies. And the idea for this application is a follow-up of our CTI seminar, so we will focus on Gandhi's Satyagraha, so focusing on nonviolence and Gandhi, non-violence and religion, and doing it really from, a, from four very different angles. So I will do a Girardian study of the spiritual religious preconditions of Gandhi's nonviolence. violence uh, Ephraim Neir will investigate uh, about the relationship between Gandhi and Judaism and also on uh, the Gandhi's input on interreligious, intercultural questions. Ed Nord will talk about hermeneutics, work on hermeneutics. How can you use ancient texts for contemporary questions like peace ethics? And Louise Dutois, who is a feminist philosopher, will approach the gender aspect, the gender dimension of this whole project. So it will be a very exciting thing and. It will be a continuation of our seminar at Princeton, but now working more on the positive side of religion and violence. And therefore, we focus especially on on nonviolence.
0: And have the four of you been keeping up in the last, I guess it's almost two years now. Um... Yeah, uh, first of all, because we uh, did the
1: application about one and a half year ago. So the the final application was uh, was uh, developed by email uh, exchanges and well some of us met so I, I met Luis at, uh, uh, at Berlin when we were both there and and worked for about two hours on the application and just in October uh, we were supposed to meet for a one-day seminar on our future project in Innsbruck but COVID-19 uh, prevented us from meeting physically but we had a full one-day Uh, online seminar with other Gandhi experts and so we are already prepared and for me it's a little bit similar to the CTI seminar because uh, myself and Louis started off the seminars in CTI and our Gandhi group will now again be the first group (laughs) who presents our our project at STIAS in in Stellenbosch. And how long will you be there in in Stellenbosch? until the middle of June, so uh, five months. It's about the same time as as we stayed together in Princeton.
0: Before I forget, I wanted to add that this book is published by Cambridge University Press, your book, Transforming the Sacred into Saintliness. It's a a short book in a series called Elements in Religion and Violence, a series that's meant to be primarily digitally uh, distributed. And I say this because at the moment until January 13th, uh, the book is, is free. You can down, anyone can download it for free. So I encourage anyone listening, this podcast should go up over the weekend. You'll have about three or four days still to download it. You can download it immediately for free until uh, the 13th. Maybe uh, let's talk a bit about the, the main themes of the book. And maybe even before we do that, you know, I was, I've been reading it, Wolfgang. And one of the things you talk about in it is how you want to reverse the order. Instead of religion and violence, talk about violence and religion. And one of the reasons is you don't wanna sort of put the onus that it's always religion that causes violence. That idea that, that religion is the cause of violence or that religion is inherently violent. One of the things I'd like to get you to do is speak about the history of that. Where did that come about? I mean, I know we, we know about the wars of religion, but I assume it didn't immediately in the wake of the wars of religion, we had people saying that religion inherently is violent.
1: I mean, the interesting thing is that even the term religion as we use it today in newspapers and in contemporary talks is a term that uh, would not have been understood by people in the Middle Ages, in the medieval period. So the the way we use the the concept of religion today is uh, an offspring, so to say, of the debates of the so-called European wars of religion. So that's uh, the first interesting thing that uh, these wars were not religious wars in a, in a sense that only religion was contributing to violence. It's, this was a mixture of political, economic uh, dimensions. Uh, these wars were also the result of the, uh, the nation-state building that happened at that time. And so uh, the, the, the average so-called myth goes like this, that uh, the, re- the religions were The confessions were uh, fighting wars against each other, and then the secular state solved the problem. And this is just wrong because, first of all, uh, the secular state remained, uh, or the so-called, those states that were formed at that time uh, were still very, very close to religion. What they did, the first thing they did was to homogenize. So uh, we had quickly quite homogeneous, Protestant states and Catholics areas. So the nation states wanted to have only one religion controlled by the state. So the whole thing is, is, is very difficult if you uh, look at it uh, clearly. So the term religion uh, became, is a result of these debates. And it was also uh, the result of the state's attempt to control religion and put religion more on the margin. And Bill Covenaugh, important theologian from the United States, I think, did a tremendous book, The Myth of Religious Violence, where he explored all those things that that was, uh, I read that already a couple of years ago, but that was a very important insight for me working on, on my own book.
0: Let me say a bit about Gerard and how what you gained from him in understanding this this problem. Or this perceived yeah.
1: problem. I mean, I'm I'm a, a, Sh- a Girardian scholar for maybe now 30 years or a little bit more even, and I think to understand uh, the relationship between violence and religion in early religions, in the early periods of human civilization, I think the the most important work done was by René Girard when he first showed that one of the key sources of human violence is mimetic rivalry is uh, coming out of imitative desire. So when we desire something as human beings, we often desire those things that our neighbors, our colleagues desire. And as soon as we focus on objects that cannot be shared, we easily uh, got uh, into rivalries and easily can be uh, come violent relationships. So uh, another CTI member who deceased uh, just a couple of months ago, uh, Jonathan Sachs, uh, uh, understood very well in, in that uh, René Girard's emphasis on mimetic rivalry, and he talks about sibling rivalry, is a very important cause of human violence. So that's the first step of Shirar's uh, mimetic theory. And then he shows by reading a lot of myths and a lot of archaeological, mythological stuff that early uh, religions, early human societies uh, overcame those uh, problems of human violence by a so-called scapegoat mechanism that interestingly also created early religions, uh, a human creation, so to say, by Divinizing the victim that was scapegoated, so the groups that were in danger by their internal violent rivalries overcame those uh, overcame the, these crises by uh, ganging up against a single scapegoat, but turning the scapegoat later on because he they they thought he was the provider of peace turning this scapegoat in the early into the tribal divinity. And so detaching themselves from their own violence and uh, and constructing, so to say, unconsciously, non-consciously, what Chirac called the sacred. And I think it's very important uh, to understand the historical development in an evolutionary view of uh, religion as a first as a first means to overcome human violence, the, the sacred. But the sacred is not the same what we talk about when we focus today on world religions. So if you talk about Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, these are uh, post excel or Excel religions who broke away, who, who bre- who, who separated themselves in a revolutionary way from those early religions that were uh, strongly characterized and by by the by the sacred? So my book yeah. uh, tries to my book tries to uh, unfold this difference between the sacred of early religions and uh, focusing and the path towards saintliness that is very characteristic at least of the Abrahamic religions, but in a broader sense of the
0: Axial religions. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why you want to sort of flip the order and, and speak first of violence and only then of religion is because you say that violence is actually easier easier to define than religion. Maybe say more about that. Yeah,
1: I, I'm less sure today uh, about this mm. uh, claim. But I think we have uh, very good studies about, uh, about violence, different types of violence. In the book, I unfold qu- quite broadly, uh, Johan Galtung, uh, Norwegian Peace Studies, founder of, of modern peace studies, who distinguished between direct violence, structural violence, and cultural violence. And I think this is very well developed and we have a very... A good and broad understanding of these different types of violence and how they relate to each other and I also show that if we bring Shira's um, mimetic theory into contact with such a concept uh, of different types of violence that Shira is very helpful to understand that even in a in a deeper sense so showing that um, violence is something relational even in the in the in the in the very Uh, in family relations like sibling rivalry and so on. So uh, I think we understand uh, violence in that sense better. And I also think we should focus on violence because to say religion is the problem uh, would suggest that people who are not attached to any kind of religion or think they are not attached to any kind of religion do not have any problems with violence which of course is is false it's a joke i mean we human beings have rivalries are are, under certain conditions prone to violence and we have to take that seriously and then the second question is in what sense uh, is religion related to this potential of human violence can it tame it does it increase it and it depends, of course, on different types of religion. If it's a helpful uh, tool to overcome it, to, to tame it, to contain it, or is it something to uh, increase it uh, and and lead to escalation and so on? So, and I think we should do that uh, just for. Objectivity as a second step, not as a first step. But I, I mean, I am a lonely, a lonely prophet in the desert in that sense, because even my book is now published in a series of religion and violence. And the funny thing is the first uh, couple of pages discussed that the, all the seminars, all the books, all the series, all the journals, always talk about religion and violence. And at least I got now the chance uh, in in a, such a series to talk on a couple of pages why we should reverse this order.
0: Yeah, one of the thing, one of the quotes that really struck me. You, you write that it is highly irritating and embarrassing to belong to a species, that being the human species, with such violent potentials, and we therefore want to attribute immediately all violence to others by claiming our own in innocence and our inborn nonviolence. that's a quote so maybe that itself explains to some extent why we have this desire to blame some group and in, in a sense religions can even serve as that in, in some cases
1: yeah that's true and there is uh, always the danger if we if you use the term aggression we hardly would say that i am aggressive but uh, we immediately think about other people who are aggressive. So talking about aggression is already uh, creating uh, such a division between us and them or myself and the others, but it's relational. And, and we are not so, uh, we cannot let ourselves easily get off the hook. Right. So there is a potential danger. And one of my favorite quotes in the book is by a, famous uh, uh, Swiss uh, writer Max Frisch and he is just celebrated right now I don't know maybe of birthday or something uh, just in the radio program you hear now in Austria at least sometimes about Max Frisch and he had such interesting questions and one of his questions was if you have not killed another person uh, yet can you explain why so he understood very well that there is the potential, there is sometimes a situation when you want to kill, at least in in, in fantasy, you know, I, I just think about uh, daily experiences you have in the car when an idiot <laughs> is driving in front of you and you want to, uh, want to, and, and your right. fantasies are starting. So there, there is this danger, although I, I also insist, and this, this is very important, I don't belief that uh, human beings are violent by nature, so there, that there is a violent nature. I, I, I reject that claim completely. Without mm-hmm. overlooking, there is the potential. And I'm interested, what are the conditions that this potential turns towards violence, and mm-hmm. what are the
0: conditions uh, that lead us on a saintly path? Another quote that really struck me, and this one you're quoting, Girard, uh, he says, to ask, why is there so much violence around us? To ask that question may feel like an, an eternal question, but in fact is a very modern one. Maybe unpack that as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's also one of the important insights of Shira that uh, because uh, traditional societies, early societies are completely structured by these mechanisms of violence, this violence that was part of their whole structure of the whole thinking was invisible. So uh, we are in we are in, in an advanced stage of human development in a positive sense because for the first time we start more and more to reflect on structural violence. We talk about uh, uh, violence in gender relations we talk about violence in racial relations we we have become more and more aware of all those dimensions of violence that can influence our life and this is a very good thing but it's also a very dangerous thing because the invisible uh, uh, the invisible violence of structures of early societies helped us to keep Violence away. So now we become more and more aware, and now we are forced to deal with this with this uh, visible violence, and this can lead to an escalation to extremes. So if you look at the uh, last two uh, two centuries, so to say, you see uh, sometimes explosions of violence. If you talk about the world wars, of national socialism, about uh, communist. Uh, exterminations and so on. So it's very important to realize that. And I think it's the influence of the XL religions, that we are forced uh, in a uh, very often said, the modern world is the worst and the best. So we are <laughs> really challenged in that way, because we are so aware now of all the dimensions of violence. But being aware of it also forces us to go in a either in a peaceful way or to succumb to this uh, danger of violence. And, and violence is is a very contagious thing. It's the most contagious thing in human life. So if you if you mirror violence, you immediately get caught up in violence. And I mean, in the United yeah. States, I think those things are very obvious how dangerous it is to to play with the fire of violence and even if you want to fight violence you have to be very careful how to to do it I mean that's that's one of the main reasons why I became so interested in Gandhi because Gandhi like Shira, was aware of the contagiousness of violence but tried to to fight violence fight injustice fight structural violence by not succumbing to the temptation of violence. And this is his uh, approach of nonviolence. It's it's the same and it's uh, more important in the United States what Martin Luther King did. I mean, Martin Luther King is following the Bible and is also following the uh, Gandhi. So it's very important. And this is the modern modern challenge. We cannot accept uh, injustice, structural violence like early societies did. But if we fight injustice, if we fight racism, if we fi- uh, fight sexism, we are easily uh, in, the, in danger to succumb, to succumb to violence ourselves. So I think it's very important to fight injustice. It's very important not to be indifferent, but uh, not go uh, go the, the path of violence because that's a very dangerous uh that easily leads to escalation and apocalyptic violence
0: in, uh, in a very bad sense. Well, in that sense, I'm uh, very much looking forward to y- y- this next project that you're working on uh, with Gandhi, and we'll have to have you back on the podcast perhaps in the next few months with your other CTI colleagues. Uh, But thanks again for being on the podcast. And once more, I'd like to say that the the book that you've just published, Transforming the Sacred into Saintliness, Reflecting on Violence and Religion with René Girard, you can get this at Cambridge University Press. Just search for Wolfgang Palaver, P-A-L-A-V-E-R. Thanks again, Wolfgang, for being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me.